now. Um, the rest of us in here, we will be in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, finishing out the chapter and in the, the beginning of, of chapter 5. As we continue our way through Ephesians, uh, last week, um, as Peter brought to us the message, we saw how, as we're now believers, um, who, who are now in Christ, and as a result of that, we're called to live as those who are found in him. In, in particular, last week, we, we heard this whole idea of putting off the old, putting off the old ways, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, the new creation that we are in Christ. This morning, we're gonna, Paul's going to get into some more of the details of what that is. He's going to get some more specifics of what it like, looks like to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Now, he's not always going to be using that exact language of put off and put on, but I'm going to be, because I think that, that that's his tone as he continues um, in Ephesians. So let's look there, starting at verse 25 this morning. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need you this morning. Pray, be present with us. Speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, as I mentioned a moment ago, we, we were reminded, and we see it in verse 22 of chapter 4, we were reminded to, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And we hear that call to put off and to put on, and we struggle to believe it. We struggle to believe that it could be really true, that we could really do this at times. John Owen, an old dead Puritan, um, in, his, uh, in one of his books, Mortification of Sin, he, he talks about how there's really two people in this world, two types of people who need to be ministered to, there's one people, one group of people, and there may be a few of you in here this morning who need to be convinced that you're under the dominion of sin. In other words, you're an unbeliever and you are still under the dominion of sin. You're dead in your sins. But he said it's also the other type of person, and hopefully there, there's more of you in here this morning. The other type of person is the person who needs to be convinced that you're no longer under the dominion of sin. I fear that too many of us in here this morning, we need to be convinced of that. We forget it. We move on in our life and we think that there's no way that we can overcome this, that it's impossible. 
I'm reminded of, uh, I'm pretty sure it's an apocryphal story about Augustine. Now, Augustine, before he came to know Christ, was a pretty wild guy living a pretty wild life. And after he came to Christ, one day his former mistress came calling. And she approached him in a way that she could, and she said, Augustine. And he immediately ran away. And she called after him, running after him, Augustine, but it is I. And Augustine said, but it is not I. The old Augustine is dead, and I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's hard for us to believe sometimes that that's really true. That that radical, change, that radical of a change has really occurred in us because we see ourselves still struggling in sin, don't we? And so Paul calls us, as, as he did last week, and as we, we move on to this week, he, he calls us to do twofold thing. He calls us to put off that old life, as we see Augustine trying to do, put off that old life, and to put on the new life. This, this language of putting off, putting on, it's like clothing language. It's the language of, uh, of like putting on clothes or taking off clothes. You know, Paul wants us to see that sometimes these clothes that we wear, these old clothes, they don't fit us. They're tattered, they're worn. They don't look right on us. Would you just try on these new clothes? And these new clothes, they, they fit you. They may be a little form-fitting and, and it may make you a little uncomfortable at the moment. But these new clothes that you're to put on, actually as new creations, they fit you well. They fit you perfectly. This morning we're going to hear Paul telling us, stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop your sin. But he's not going to just tell us to stop. He's going to tell us we must replace it with something. We, we don't just, I mean, just think of it. You don't just take off your clothes, right? You, you replace it with something else. And that's what he calls us to. To replace it. Why, why would we continue, if we really are new creatures, why would we continue to dress up in rags? We. And hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about it this morning. We must learn to be the real you, the new creation that we are in Christ. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading the passage a few minutes ago, did you notice that none of the sins are like notorious sins? As we're going to go through them this morning, there's five areas that Paul goes through and we're going to go through each of them. There are actually areas that are common uh, to all, as we'll see. First, verse 25. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What is Paul calling us to? He's calling us to put off lying, right? But not just to put it off, not just to stop lying, but to put on the truth. And by doing so, understand what it is that we are putting on, that in a way we are putting on Christ, aren't we? Who is Jesus, but the way, the truth, and the life. You see, if you're united to Christ, if we're really united to him, we're no longer going to walk in the lying ways that our world so often walks, are we? But we're going to begin, we're going to find ourselves instead walking with integrity because we are so closely connected to Christ, who is the truth. And you know, it's interesting, as Paul um, calls us to put away falsehood, do you see the context of it? It's not just you putting away falsehood because of the way it affects you. It's because we are members of one body. You, you see, our lying ways, what do they do? They affect the community. 
They affect Christ's community. They, they affect the church. It's like cancer in the body, and it'll spread if we're not careful. So in that context, I want us to think about lying maybe in a slightly different way, and I think that the way that's appropriate for what Paul is talking about here, because he's talking about lying, it seems like in, a, in the community, particularly in the community of faith. How do we lie to each other? How are you lying maybe even this morning? How do we pretend to be people before each other that we are really not? That we're not honest with the mess that we really are. I mean, look at any of your, we'll talk about other people. Look look at anybody's Instagram profile or, or Facebook. What do you see? So often it's just a a pure life, isn't it? A manicured life, a life that's all put together, that's all perfect. Usually we don't post the raw moments of our life, do we, for the world to see. Now, now there's some appropriateness to this because we, we don't need to tell everybody everything. I, I don't think that's appropriate. It doesn't mean that. But I think it does. To, to use a word that I think sometimes it may be a little overused in our, our culture today and maybe even in the church but I think it's appropriate here that we, we're called to authenticity. We're called to be authentic with one another, living out in te- in lives of integrity before each other. We're not called, and maybe this is you, maybe you live multiple lives. You know, you live one life at work, you live a different life at home, maybe a different life as you come to church here this morning. Paul calls us to put off the lie and, and put on telling the truth, being honest to one another. And, and let's get this, our body, we need truth-telling with each other. You know, I'm reminded so often when, when I'm counseling folks, so often I end up telling them the same thing at some point or another. Because as they're struggling with whatever it is, or the couple's struggling with whatever it is, they, they think they're the only ones. And I have to remind them, you're not the only one. You're not the only one who's struggling with this problem. You're, you're not the only marriage that's struggling. You're not the only one struggling with your kids. We're, 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 we're all struggling. Hear this. This body, our body, would be greatly blessed by us speaking truth to one another, living lives of integrity, to speak the truth of what we're really going on with each other. Now, that doesn't mean, again, telling everyone everything, but to speak truth is a major blessing to the body of Christ. Paul's concern isn't just truth-telling, is it? Verse 26, be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Here he quotes from Psalm chapter 4. And what does he say? He says, put off worldly anger and put on righteous anger. Now, I think there's a part of us that we hear that and we're like, oh, this is nice. So I can be angry. You know, and, and we get, maybe get a little excited about like, oh, there's some ways in which I can be angry and it can be okay and I'm not sinning. Okay, I like this. Um, what is that? What is that righteous anger? It's anger at things like injustice. It's anger at things that dishonor our great God. The type of things that we see our God angry about in, in, in Scripture. And so there's a way in which we can appropriately reflect God in our righteous anger. Now, we need to be careful here, very careful, I think, because Paul is not here giving us some blanket permission to be angry, is he? 
Paul isn't giving us some way of trying to find some justification for our anger. You know, if you can just justify your anger, then you're okay. Because I think we can all justify our anger pretty much every time, right? Instead, what do we need to do? I think we need to evaluate our anger. We need to evaluate our hearts when we get angry. Look at your heart's motivation. When when you're angry, is it because God's glory is at stake? Or is it because your own glory is at stake? I fear too often for myself, it's the latter and not the former. Is it because you see harm being done to others and you have a heart for them? Or is it because, yet again, you're not getting what you want and you're having a pity party for yourself? It's hard. I think our problem is is there's probably very little righteous anger in our lives. So much of our anger just centers around our own selfishness, and it's really all about us, and that's why we get angry. Paul Paul also, he he further, he kind of helps us to understand a little bit more what righteous anger is too, because what does he say? He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that tell us too is that, that, that part of a righteous anger would be what? Seeking reconciliation. It would lead to reconciliation. It wouldn't lead to somebody just stewing in their anger, and we have to be so careful, Paul says, with anger. Why? Because you want to give no opportunity to the devil. It's so easy in the midst of anger, in the midst of our emotions, to give the devil a foothold. Now, Paul isn't just concerned about truth-telling. He's not just concerned about anger. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What does he do here? He tells the thief to put off being a thief and to put on what? So this is where it's so important that we, we, we see both components here, not just put off something, not just stop doing something. In each case, he's telling us something else to put on, and what is it here that he's telling us to put on, but to put on generosity, some of you may be thinking, well, thieving, I'm, I'm a little better at that. I haven't stolen anything ris- recently. Now, Paul's certainly meaning it, I think, in a literal fashion, too. But let's be careful here. I think we all steal things, don't we? Let's, we, we don't want to go t- too far down this track or it'll get far too personal this morning, right? But things that we steal, maybe in the workplace, you justify yourself like, oh, I can take this because I work here and, and everyone else is doing it. Maybe you steal other people's time, their reputations. There's a multitude of ways that we can find ourselves stealing and and taking from others. And in fact, I think as we look at this passage, do you you notice that that Paul kind of leads us with a different focus? Okay, That, That maybe there's actually an even greater way that you and I struggle with stealing. And that greater way is because of our lack of generosity. That, that, that not being generous is in fact stealing. You know, just, just think about it. Maybe, maybe you've been there before. I, I have. You, you've lost a job. Maybe you're in between for a few months or whatever, and you're wondering where your paycheck is coming from. Your saving accounts begins to go down, right? And then you finally you get a job, right? Finally you get the job. Finally the income's coming in, and what do you do? You're tempted at that moment, aren't you? You're tempted to think, well, I've got to rebuild up my savings account, 
I, I, I can't afford to be generous right now. That's not the call that we see here, is it? Our call is to be generous, to be ones who are, are, are filled with generosity. It's not enough that we just put off stealing, okay? Again, this is how Paul does. Not, not just enough, don't steal, but we're to put on this new thing. Put on generosity, and here, generosity in particular to who? To those in need. To those who don't have. You see why? Because we know how, how blessed we are and that every blessing that we have comes from heaven. We've been so incredibly blessed. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. As our Savior has been so incredibly generous to us, we're called to put on that same generosity. A generosity that's not worried about protecting our own and keeping our own stuff safe, but who's willing to share it. And to share it boldly and greatly, just as our Savior, Jesus Christ, has showed us. But not just lying, not just anger, not just stealing. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk, Paul says, come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What does he tell us? He tells us to put off what? Corrupting talk. And to put on what? The kind of talk that, that builds one another up. Now Paul here, he, he, he's not talking and he doesn't seem to be so concerned with cussing at this moment. Or the use of particular words, right? He's much more concerned about the way we use words that tear one another down. I think to the playground. I think to how good, how skilled our children, and children, some of you are in here this morning, how skilled our children become at using words as daggers. You know what I mean? Especially as you grow, like you get into middle school, especially it seems like you have learned how to use language well. Now, now not grammatically well, but you've learned how to use words well so that you can throw them as at daggers at somebody. You know that if you call them that name, it's just going to tear them down, right? Because ultimately we know that that, that, that that old school yard saying that sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me, we know the lie that it so often is. That sometimes words are far more painful than sticks and stones. And yet we can be so tempted to utilize our, our, our mouths to destroy others, to pull them down. That's what Paul's talking about here, corrupting talk. Talk that's used to tear one another down. And, and, and some of us adults here this morning, we may think, well, we're, we, we, don't, we don't use our language quite like that anymore. We, we've grown up. We've matured a bit. We don't call people names like we used to on the playground. I think we, unfortunately, I think we've just been more skilled at learning to use our words as daggers. You still know how to use your words just right to affect the other to penetrate their heart, to, to hurt them. We do that, unfortunately, in our relationships, often in our marriage relationships even. 
where we'll use words as daggers. And we don't even just use it there. So, sometimes, I'm afraid, and, and some of us, I mean, maybe even myself, we're guilty of sometimes even using those kind of words against people you'll never meet, you'll never interact with. Maybe you read a news story, you watch something on the news, and suddenly you have something not so nice to say about somebody. Paul, this morning, he calls us to put off that worldly way of using language and instead to to learn to use our words to build one another up, to give grace to those who hear. Do you use your words to tear one another down? Do you use your words to, to make yourself feel better about yourself? Or do you use your words as an opportunity to minister to somebody else, to encourage them, to give them grace? I'm reminded of our Savior, the way he so, so graciously used his words to bless others, didn't he? Now, that doesn't mean, though, that his words were always welcomed words, right? And at times, they weren't difficult words for people to hear, right? I think of the woman at the well. He shared very difficult words for her, but very gracious, incredibly gracious words to her, ultimately meant to build her up, to call her to himself, ultimately to give grace. We need to learn to use our words as an opportunity to minister one to another. Now, it's here, in this context about speech, that Paul reminds us of the impact of our words. And really, of of all of our failure to put things off, put off the old things, and, and put on our new self, we see in verse 30, what does he say? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Those are powerful and sobering words, aren't they? Not words to be taken lightly. Be reminded of, of some of the words that have come before in Paul of, of, of what our great God has done in us. Verse 11, chapter 1, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here we can begin to understand, I think, that our offenses aren't just offenses against one another, but they're offenses against our great God, against the Holy Spirit, the one who regenerated our hearts, the one who brought us back from the dead, the one who is the seal of all the wonderful blessings that come to us in Christ, the the, the one who, 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 who in fact did the work of making you and I new creatures, new creations, the old is gone, the new has come, the one who has united us to Christ. Paul tells us when we use our words coarsely, in fact, I think any time that we fail to put off the old and put on the new, 
we grieve Holy Spirit. The one who has been such a blessing and, and, and get this, desires to be a blessing. Wants to assist us, wants to help us, wants to come alongside us as, as we put off the old and put on the new. And sometimes we reject him. We say, no, I want to put these old clothes back on. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. This should affect us. I hope it affects our hearts. It's, it's appropriate that it does. This isn't just guilt manipulation. The one who has sealed you is grieved as you continue to walk in your sin. In view of this, Paul says, verse 31, let all bitterness, in a way, I think he's almost responding to this. He says, so let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away. Let, let it all, all the stuff I've already mentioned and, and some other things, put it all off. In view of the fact that you're grieving the Holy Spirit, let all of it go away. Be kind to wonder one another, tenderhearted. Encourages us to put off all those things opposed to, to kindness. And to put on kindness. To put on kindness as our Lord and Savior is so kind to us, Ephesians 2.7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in what? In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Our great God has been so, so kind to us. Do you know how kind he has been to you? We're so tempted to, to respond with all those things we just saw a moment ago, to respond with bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, to all the things going on in, in our world, and, and we miss, we forget how kind, how kind our Savior has been to us, how kind Holy Spirit has been to us, how kind the Father has been to us. You see, we're called to, to put all of those things off, that, 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 that list there in 31. We're, we're called to put those things off so that, that we can put on kindness, we can put on tenderheartedness, we can be, mirror the kindness of our Savior. And it's here that Paul makes clear that, that what we've been talking about, and, and you might be thinking, oh, you know, it's all this stuff and all this stuff i got to do. And we might think, of it, okay, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And we begin to hear it just as some sort of rote legalism. That it's some sort of list that, that if I do this, if I don't do this and I do this, if I put off this and I put on this, that's how I can make God love me. We're tempted to think that, that somehow that, that's how I can make myself worthy of salvation. If you begin to tempted to think in that way at all, you must remember the context. We must remember the, that we are called to put off. We're called to, to put on because we are a new creation. Because we're a new creation, because of the incredible work Christ has done in us, we are a new self. We were dead, but now we are alive. Because of what we have received in Christ, sin no longer has dominion over us. We must be reminded 
As Paul goes on to tell, you know, we've just gone through this morning a bunch of what we called, and Peter spoke to about this a few weeks ago, a bunch of imperatives, a bunch of commands, a bunch of the ways that we're to act, these things to put off, these things to put on. But we must not miss that they are in the shadow of what we call the indicatives, the statements of fact, the statement of truth. This grammar is really important. We must remember the context in which Paul is calling us to put these things off, to put these things on. It's here, even in our text, that Paul reminds us of the wonderful beauty of the gospel that that leads us to want to put these things off, to to want us to put on Christ. Look back at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, these aren't just commands in absence, in a vacuum. They're commands in in the shadow of the grace of our incredible Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we're able to forgive we're able to respond to, to one another with kindness, with, with tenderness, because Christ has forgiven us. Are you holding back forgiveness in your life? Do you hold back forgiveness? Do you struggle with it? We need to understand that our ability and the degree to which we are able to forgive directly connects to our understanding of the gospel. You see, if we don't understand the travesty that our sin is, we don't understand things like the way in which it grieves the Holy Spirit, if we don't understand how dark our sin is, on the one hand, and on the other hand, if we don't understand how wonderful, how beautiful, how immeasurable and abundant is the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, We'll forgive little. If you believe you have been forgiven little, you'll forgive little. But if you understand the incredible immensity of the forgiveness that comes to us in Christ Jesus, you will forgive greatly like our Savior Jesus Christ has. Do you know that? Do you, do, do you get that? Do you see that? We're called to forgive, not in a vacuum. It's not God shaming us. It's not shaming us with any of these things. It's calling us to follow in the steps of the one who died and gave himself up for us. As Paul says in chapter 5, at the beginning of chapter 5, the very end of our text, therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What's Paul saying all of this? All of this, because of what our Savior has done, because of the way that he has loved us, the way that he has given himself for us as an offering, as a sacrifice, he he, he gave of his very self, you and I, 
As, we're as a result, we're, we're called to walk in love, imitating our Savior. Now, I know that may sound crazy because in some ways it may sound like, you know, like me being called to like, okay, Steve, you need to be like Michael Jordan on the basketball court. Like, that's just silly, right? That's crazy. And I think sometimes when we hear this call to imitate our great God, we hear it in that silly way. But what we miss, what we miss when we think like that, when we think in that wrong-headed way, we miss the fact that sin no longer has dominion over us, that we are new creations in Christ and we have been given Holy Spirit so that we might be able to walk in newness of life. I have no abilities to be like Michael Jordan. That's not possible. with the work of our great God that our Savior has done and the application of it and through the Holy Spirit, through the love of the Father. I am able to walk in the steps of my Savior. Will I do so perfectly this side of glory? No, I will not. But I am able to walk. And I'm able to walk with him. You see, we're able to put off the old. We're able to put on the new, as I said, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're not going to attain that. But with the work of the Holy Spirit, we are able to say no to sin and yes to Christ. We're able to put off the old self and put on the new self. We're, we're able to put off falsehood and put on the truth. We're able to put off worldly anger and put on righteous anger. We're able to put off stealing and put on generosity. We're able to put off corrupting talk and put on gracious talk that builds up one another. We're able to put off all unkindness and put on kindness and tender-heartedness, and forgiving. We're able to forgive one another because Christ forgave us. The call this morning, it's, it's right there. It's right here before us. Are we going to follow it? Therefore, be imitators of God my beloved, as beloved children. And walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we, as believers, we often, sometimes, more frequently than we would like to admit, believe the lie that somehow there's nothing we can do about sin, that it has dominion over us. Oh, would you help us to truly believe 
the truth of what our Savior has done. The truth of what, of the, the, the new life that we have in Christ sealed by your Holy Spirit. We need you. We, we, we can't do this on our own. And that's why you've given us such a gift in Holy Spirit. Not only have you made us a new creation, you have given us one to be with us. Would you help us to learn to walk as imitators of you? And help us to believe Believe the wonder, the wonder that is the gospel and desire to live out of it. Oh, Father, help us. We need your help this day and every day. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.